It's episode 737 of the Roadman Cycling Podcast, and it's Friday. Sarah's back. It's newbie questions with a Giro d'Italia flavour. I was at the Giro d'Italia once, oh. but, but it was in Dublin, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love Roglic. I would, like, I really, really, yes, Ghana, of course. I have a little bit of hearts in my eyes for Ghana, but I absolutely adore Roglic, so I'm really, Anna, really Philippe, you can't of course. <laughs> but it was free drink so we drank like all day and we were wrecking Stephen Roach's head like we were absolutely hanging out Sarah welcome back thank you oh my god I'm so excited about the Giro it's grand tour season again it's upon us and it's the best time of the year this is better than Christmas Ciao Bella. Ciao Bella. Forza, Anthony. Forza. I, that's all I know, Italian. <laughs> Same. <laughs> so when you're at the Giro d'Italia, when you're screaming on, shouting, or even if you're shouting at the telly, you just say Forza. Forza, that means basically go, go. I was at the Giro d'Italia once, oh. but, but it was in Dublin, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. That was way back in 2014 because some of the Grand Tours start in different countries. It happens with all of the Grand Tours. I assumed that that would be happening with the Giro this year because last year it kicked off in Budapest, I think, or somewhere in Hungary anyway. But this year it's starting in Italy. So it's just kind of staying within the country. But Anthony, do you remember when it came to Ireland? Oh my God, that was so exciting. One of my friends got, uh, I'm not sure if I've told this story on the podcast before, one of my friends that I cycled with managed to somehow get VIP tickets. He was repping for Power Bar, a nutrition product company. I'm not sure if they're still around, maybe they are. Uh, he was repping for them at the time and he got two finish line tickets for it. And we went into the finish line, you know, the celebrity with inverted commas, like nobody in there was a celebrity except one person. Stephen Roach was there. Class. But it was free drink. So we drank like all day and we were wrecking Stephen Roach's head. Like we were <laughs> absolutely hanging out of him like, tell us about that day you dropped Delgado. Tell us about that day. <laughs> it was bad. I'm glad they were on camera phones. I remember watching it out in Port Marnock, which is a coastal area uh, in North County, Dublin. And it was just this flash of colour going by. And I was a little bit perplexed and confused as to what this sport was and why it was such a big deal that it was in Ireland. And look at me now. Do you know there's a huge crash actually in Port Marnock? Do you know where we go on the club ride? We take the club ride on this exact road in reverse. So we take the club ride down through Malahide and then the little part out at the estuary. Mm -hmm. There's a huge crash there with, a, as the Belgians call it, some sleeping policemen and a massive pileup. So there's a bit ah, of interesting that trivia is interesting. for you. What I remember from the time is we were having some kind of political election at the time. And it just, a political election, a political no less. election. <laughs> and all of the ugly mugs of all of our politicians were plastered all over every single pylon and every single wall for the world to see. I just was like, I wish they had taken those down because the eyes of the world were on us that particular day. And look, as I said, I knew nothing about cycling back then. I know a tiny little bit more fraction. <laughs> fraction now we'll be cracking and have a little chat about the Giro this year newbie questions with a difference <laughs> so Anthony as a complete newbie and I haven't researched the Giro this year at all but this year talk about the course does it favor climbers TT specialists is it a sprinter's kind of a grand tour? Talk to me. Yeah, I've been digging in. Yeah, look, there's no there's no grand tours really that are favor 
you know, anyone but the all-rounders these days. You have to be a pretty well-rounded GC rider to have a chance over the course of the three weeks. But it is an interesting one this year. So dive in a few stats. There's 3,489 kilometers to be ridden over 21 days. And that's 51,000 meters of climbing. That's broken down. There's three time trial stages, which we can expect the likes of Ghana to challenge Roglic and Remco. We have eight flat stages where we have a chance for the sprinter, five hilly stages you might see an escape, and five high mountain stages, which are going to be very, very decisive in the GC battle. It's so exciting. I was never a TT fan until a couple of years ago. And even in the Tour de France Femme, I thought that they missed a trick by not putting a TT in last year because I think it is very enjoyable. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Ghana this year. I absolutely love Ghana. You have, I have a, a bit crush of, on him. I have a soft spot for him. Did you know that there's over 70 kilometers of TTs in this year? I think that's very high, isn't it? I mean, it seems exceptionally high to me. They want Remco to win it. They want Remco to win it. I think this you, think course, adi- you think they're setting it up for Remco? Ah, uh, look, I think it was been widely debated that Remco would go and ride the Tour de France this year, and then the, I think the Giro d'Italia tried to lure Remco to the Giro this year with that amount of time trial kilometers. But I'm not sure how much of an edge he has on Roglic. Um, Vuelta Catalonia this year, Roglic looks stronger than Remco for my money. So look, we'll get into all that in a minute, but. Yeah, the TTs are definitely uh, lower for Remco. In the Vuelta Catalonia, we definitely, I think, saw Roglic doing a little bit of sandbagging and holding back a little bit and maybe not showing all of his cards. Um, maybe that was just what I took away from Your it. expert analysis. Expert was analysis. It? He, he did win the GC, so he didn't hold back that much. But I absolutely love Roglic. I would, like, I really, really, yes, Ghana, of course. I have a little bit of hearts in my eyes for Ghana, but I absolutely adore Roglic, so I'm really, Anna, really Philippe, you can't of look course. <laughs> As we determined last year or last week, Remco is a little bit young for me to have hearts in my eyes over. So <laughs> I'm going to park that one. You know the way in every stage or grand tour, there's always a couple of days that you just can't miss. So you and I will be probably glued to the whole thing. We're lucky enough that we can watch the stages as they unfold. Well, actually, I won't. This happens to me when I ride the Ross. I miss the last week. So when it starts getting really good in the high mountain stages, I have to go away and ride the Ross. And yeah, I never get more than the results on Twitter then. So it's heartbreaking. Uh, I totally forgot you're going to miss all the spice at the in the third week. Yeah. That's devastating. Don't worry, I'll keep you updated. <laughs> Stages Cranks and Stages Dash Bike Computer are today's show sponsors. I've used Stages Power Meters for the better part of a decade, first on my road bike, then on the tandem, and now off-road on my gravel and mountain bike. I really trust the consistency of the data that it gives me. It's been proven to be plus or minus 1.5% accurate. They're also super light. I think it adds about 20 grams to the weight of my crank. And a feature I love is the battery is so replaceable. It's a small little watch battery that you can pick up in any convenience store. I'm pairing my stages crank with a Dash L200 bike computer, which I absolutely love. You can use it in portrait or landscape mode, which is kind of cool. The battery is so, so good. It'll last between 10 and 18 hours, and I've tested this depending on the mode you use. So it's going to last even my longest events this season. And the maps feature is absolutely amazing for when you're out on the trails. The color coding makes it virtually impossible to get lost. 
So if you're looking to get your hands on a Stages crank set or you're looking to get your hands on the Stages Dash L200, which I'm using at the moment, all the information you need, it's over on stagescycling.com. The link to that is in today's show notes. Is there a couple of stages that you are just like, you have to tune in for these, put these in your diary? Yeah, there's definitely four big ones that jumped out for me. Stage seven is 218 kilometers. And you might remember this climb. It's finishing at the Gran Sassa Italiana, And that's the first high mountain test in this year's race. Last time we raced up that, I think it was 2018 and Simon Yates won that stage. There's 4,000 meters of climbing in total in that stage. But the finished climb, as I said, it's that Sassa de Grande Italiano. That's 26 kilometers long with gradients up to 13%. That's a beast of a climb. And it's coming stage seven. That's very, very early in the race to have such a decisive GC stage. We don't normally see that till the second half of the race. Stage nine as well, Sarah, you kind of flagged it with the amount of time trial kilometers in it this year. It can be very difficult to get separation from your competitors and time trials are historically the place where we've seen that big separation between GC contenders. 35 kilometers, although it's a pretty flat TT stage, looks like Ghana could be the man for a stage win. All eyes are going to be on Roglic, Remco, Battle on stage nine. Somebody's going to have a solid hand on the leader's jersey already nine stages in. Then stage 13, we have, as the Italians call it, the Cimacopi. That's the highest point of the entire race. It's a 208-kilometer stage, and we're going up Col de Grand Saint Bernard. We've used this in the Tour de France a few times. It's a beast. It's 34 kilometers long. There's a summit finish that day on Crans Montagne, and that's 16 kilometers long at 7.2%. This stage has, wait for it, over 5,000 meters of climbing. So this is arguably the queen stage in the race. Now, I know I'm boring the whole of you here, Sarah, but there's one more I want to make sure people don't miss. It's stage 19 because there's four climbs in this and 5,400 meters of climbing over 182 kilometers. This is going to be a massively important stage, especially for GC. The high altitude also gives a chance of poor weather. Last time we rode a similar stage up here, really bad weather, snow and Vincenzo Nibali wrapped up the overall. As I'm going through that list of stages, I'm just struck by how many meters of vertical it is. And I had Ryan Mullen on the podcast a few months back and he was saying, if you're an 80 kilogram rider and you go to the Giro d'Italia, it's like going on a three-week bikepacking trip. He said, you're just not in the race. You're trying to find your way to finish lines. Like, Crowds are gone by the time you get there. It's just miserable. Oh, absolute hardship. Wouldn't be the race for me or you, Anthony. So that's stage 7, 9, 13 and 19. Don't miss those. And I've had a little look at the weather. Speaking about those high altitudes and bad weather, the weather for the first week is not looking too great. So I don't know how that really affects people's performance and, you know, kind of how they fare. They're all used to riding in crazy weather, I'm sure. But it does make it a little bit tricky, a little bit trickier in the big bunches. The other thing that I saw on Twitter this week that I thought was really interesting is that apart from all of the kilometers, all of the vert that these guys have to do, they're actually going to end up riding over 110 kilometers in neutralized zones. So like, is there any break for these riders at all? And I think that's something that's kind of like a thread in the Giro 
Anthony, you can um, maybe back me up on this, where the Giro, they really make the athletes work hard. So if you look at the map, the boot of Italy and where all the stages are, the riders will finish a stage and then they'll have to get into trains, planes, automobiles to get to the start of the next stage. So there's no real rest days or chill out days. And I think the Giro is kind of famous for making the spectacle for spectators rather than really taking care of the riders like they would in the Vuelta or the Tour de France. What do you think? Yeah, there's definitely more transfers. You hear riders complaining about it every year, sometimes chaotic long transfers and traffic can be bad as well coming out of places like this. The Not having the grand depart in a foreign country is brilliant because you know, you're racing in Hungary for stage one, stage two, and then stage three is in Italy. So you're having to do a transfer that evening. Like that's horrible. It breaks up your routine where you're normally just going back to the hotel, showering, massage, dinner, team meeting, bed. Now all of a sudden you have to throw international travel on top of that and still do all that stuff. It's quite a busy evening, even on, you know, amateur stage races like me going off to the Ross you'd be wondering, oh, how come you didn't call me in the evening? It's busy. <laughs> like once you finish the race, you do have a lot of stuff to be doing. And it's magnified for these guys more and more when you throw in that travel. And then when you talk about the rest days in between, let's say they have a transfer day in inverted commas, which is a rest day, but they're not getting that rest. They're busy. And then they still probably have to get their scope out the the route for the following day or is that something that they do or do they have those will these guys and their team cars have gone and scoped out these stages previously all of them will they know exactly where that pothole is will they know exactly where well not to that detail but yeah you know you wouldn't be going scoping out a stage the day before on your rest day some of the big gc guys remco and roglic they might have been out here months ago and pre-ridden some of the key stages. You will have directors or, you know, sort of forward staff that will go ahead and drive the stage the morning of the race maybe and then report back if there's crucial parts they need to know about because the roadmap will say one thing, but that's been written up months ago, but it won't tell you if there's roadworks have popped up there in the last week and it's a place that you need to pay particular attention to or if the, the finish line has particularly potholy section on the left, so you need to open your sprint down the right. That type of thing, having those forward staff who'll go ahead and relay back that information so they'll have access to it in the team meeting that morning. But you'll get riders will definitely ride on their rest day, but yeah, there'll be no sense of going to, to recce the stage. It's just, it's too long because they'll ride for an hour or maybe two hours on a rest day. It'd be unusual to take a complete day off the bike on a rest day, yeah, wouldn't no, it? it? Just like it would never happen. I think Lance Armstrong was famous, wasn't he? He used to absolutely tear shreds out of his teammates and insist that everyone go absolute balls deep over <laughs> the rest days. Like there was no chilling out at all. It was just... Forza, Forza, Forza. Yeah, yeah, you need to ride on your rest day for sure. Or your body just shuts down. Okay, so Anthony, let's move on a little bit to the favourites. I have a hundred quid here. It's my running away money if we ever break up. I want to double it or triple it. <laughs> Who am I putting my money on here? If you want to double it or triple it, you want to stay well away from the favourites because they're <laughs> short odds. Uh, Remco is the bookie's favourites. He won the Vuelta, obviously, at the tail end last year. He did fade in the last week, if you remember last year. And without that infamous Roglic, Fred Wright crash, which we had Fred Wright on the podcast talking about, Roglic was coming back strong in that Vuelta. I, my money was on Roglic and definitely an electrifying last week. So the hype that Remco, he's already won a Grand Tour. Yeah, but it has a little bit of an asterisk because Roglic wasn't there. So with Roglic and Remco being two red hot favourites for this, a lot of people are asking, is the Giro now a race for the remaining spot on the podium? 
well, I don't know, Grand Tours, we spoke about this yesterday, Sarah, Grand Tours, they're three weeks long and a lot of dangers to navigate over the course of three weeks. It's next to impossible to say with any certainty what's going to happen. You look at Pogaccia in Liège, Baston Liège, a broken wrist. He won basically everything so far this season. Look, the shoe in for the Tour de France. Now his preparation is in jeopardy. And if he actually takes to the start line, that's really under doubt. And the race hasn't even started and we've seen huge setbacks already for Jumbo Visma with Tobias Voss and Robert Hessink both out of the race. I think they have COVID. So Jos van Anden and Rowan Dennis, two capable replacements, they're stepping in to support Roglic. But it's topsy-turvy. Like, it's very unpredictable. And, uh, you know, there's easier ways to, to double or triple your money, I'd say. Scratchies. <laughs> well, that is the beauty of this three-week race. You just don't know what's going to happen. And I think that maybe the odds could be good at the beginning because who knows what is going to happen. That is so exciting. I can't wait for all this to kick off. What will the strategy of those two favourites be? You know, when they're thinking, okay, team, what will they be attacking? Will they let somebody else do all the work? Talk to me about how that will all play out. Well, Remco's going to look to take time in the time trials for sure. That's going to be a big focus. He spent a lot of time on the time trial bike. If you follow him on Instagram, you'll see he's consistently on that TT bike. His focus is going to be winning that 19.6 kilometer stage one time trial on the Adriatic coast. And then moving into the second time trial, which I'd flagged already, which is stage nine in Siena. That's a 35 kilometer time trial. So already, if you stick those two time trials in, Remco is in a decent spot, taking a little bit of time, most likely on his rivals. Roglic, probably going to look to pursue a similar strategy, but he's likely not going to be as strong as Remco in the TT. So he's going to be sniffing around for maybe stage wins or bonus seconds in those early hilly stages, specifically at Lago Lasenio and Gran Sasso di Italiana. Boat riders could potentially head into the second week of the race with a minute clear on the rest of their competitors. However, that true challenge is going to be those final mountain stages of the Giro in that last week in true, brutal Giro d'Italia style. And having a one-minute advantage that you've built up across those TTs, like that can evaporate in seconds if you have one challenging day at altitude. And we've seen that Remco has shown weakness at altitude, especially towards the end of these Grand Tours. So look, all bets are off in that last week and it's going to be just like rocky and... What was that? Uh, not Drago, Apollo Creed, where they're just knocking slugs out of each other. I think that's what we're looking at in the last week. Okay, and what about the other contenders? And you talk about maybe it's just going to be a fight for third place. So who else is in contention? We watched the Tour of the Alps and Tio Gegenhart looked super strong for Ineos. Oh, yeah. Like Ineos looked back to their brilliant best. Now the top, top guys weren't there. That's no disrespect to who was there. But they kind of have a three-pronged attack. You'd have to say that none of them are quite as strong as Roglic or Remco. We've Teo, Garant Thomas and Pavel Sivakov. It seems like the A-team for Ineos is going to the Giro. It seems like that's the best Ineos have at the moment because there's a little bit of an experimental team heading off to the Tour de France with Pickock, Bernal, who's still tr struggling for form after his crash, and Danny Martinez. There's actually a quote from Garant Thomas that I dug out where he said... It's going to be hard to beat Evan Paul and Roglic, but it's not impossible. They're two quality bike riders and among the best in the world in recent years, but we definitely go into the Giro with belief that we can beat them. That's the great thing about sport at the moment. There's a lot of guys who can perform and potentially be on a Giro podium. It's interesting. The benefit that Ineos have is they have this multi-pronged attack 
where Roglic, if he crashes, Jumbo aren't going to win the Giro. Quick step, if Remco crashes, they're not going to win the Giro. Ineos, if Thomas crashes, Theo Gay can come in the Giro. So, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of it was kind of cool to see Ineos back leading their trains at you know over the last few races. They're so distinctive, and it has been great to see Theo doing so well. What about the other teams then, apart from Ineos? So like, we still have EF, UAE, Jayco. What do you think about those? UAE strong, yeah, well made is super strong in GC all the time. And then we have friend of the show, Jay Vines there, obviously the mountains jersey in the Vuelta last year. He's been out with a knee injury for a little bit, so hard to know what to expect. But he's a man who can go away, lives at altitude in Andorra. He's a man who can go away and prepare. Maybe looking at him more than a support role for Yeo Almeida initially. EF Education, they just dropped their cool new uh, Rafa jersey. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Do you it. like it? It's. I don't know if it's as cool as the palace one they done last I year. The skateboarding the look. One. Yeah, the palace one was cool, but this one seems to be. I think they're calling it off cuts or something. It's pieces of material that weren't used for other designs, and they've. It's kind of like a patchwork of different colors and different patterns and stuff. They always go a little bit wild. I think it's cool that they do it. And what was cool just before we came on air, I seen that Ben Healy because EF really held back. They launched their jersey, but they didn't launch their team. We didn't have the team announcement until like late last night this morning. So Ben Healy is actually in the EF team, which is brilliant, alongside Rigoberto Oran, Hugh Carty. So we could see Ben Healy sniffing out some stages. That's so cool. Just before you move on from that, Anthony, is that because the EF, the director, wants to wait and see who's in form? Is he looking at the numbers and seeing how everyone's health is and all of that kind of stuff? Did Ben actually know last week or is Ben learning this as we're learning it or what's the motivation behind coming out with it so close to the actual race? I'm not really sure. There was a long list, I'm assuming, where, you know, we've talked to people that are on the Tour de France long list. Daryl Limpy, for instance, is on the Tour de France long list for Israel at the moment, but he won't find out till closer to the time, but you go and you prepare as if you're doing the race. So he'll head off to Andorra for altitude now to get ready for the Tour even though he's uncertain if he's going to get picked. It's probably the same type thing. For this, I'm not sure when the riders were told, but EF are kind of notoriously late on announcing their team, so not sure of the strategy there. Maybe keep people guessing. Before you move on from that, a shout out for another big friend of the show who we're all absolutely rooting for because we have a massive hometown bias here, Eddie Dunbar. <laughs> he's on his debut as team leader for Jaco Alu. He looked really strong in recent races. So yeah, it's cool to see Eddie at the pointy end. I'm still divided as to whether I liked seeing Dunbar riding GC or going stage hunting. Like Nico Roach, when he was with AG2R back like 2010-ish, he rode GC for a long time. And I'm not sure what he got out of it. He got a lot of 11ths and 12ths and around there, but never quite made that jump to the top GC rider. I just hope Eddie doesn't do the same, get stuck in that riding GC, but not quite at the pointy end. I would much rather see him hunt for stages and get two, three stage wins in a race rather than come intent on GC. But that's just me. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. We have been watching him. He's been there or thereabouts in the last couple of races that we've seen him in. And yeah, it'd be great to see Eddie do well in this uh, Grand Tour. There's one thing that I want to talk about if you're not comfortable watching these bike races, if you're new enough to bike racing, or even if you've been cycling for ages, but you've never actually been a spectator of the sport, and it can be a little bit confusing 
watching cycling racing is very nuanced. I released a podcast this time last year. I can't believe it's a year ago. I think it was at the very beginning of my podcasting career. It's a shocker, is it? <laughs> I'm sure it is. I actually, I'm too embarrassed to listen back. I'm sure it's terrible, but I did look at the show notes and at my notes and there's some really good information in there in so far as what the GC means and what the all the other jerseys are, like the King of the Mountain, the Young Rider, the Sprinter, and how all of that has worked out, and some little bit of and a little bit of history about the Giro d'Italia as well that you'd be able to go and impress all of your colleagues with at the coffee machine <laughs> over the next three weeks. That one is episode four four six on the Roadman Cycling Podcast, and I'm going to link the Spotify link and the Apple link in the show notes. You can click straight through to there. Giro d'Italia for dummies. That's it. Yeah, folks. Thanks for tuning in. It's been a blast, right? safe and I'm going to talk to you again on Monday but Sarah's going to be back again tomorrow until then Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations but we also want to fulfil our potential in cycling. Okay, okay maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France but for most of us this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realise your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.